Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. And today I'm very happy to say that we have Kasim Kassam on the show. And we'll be talking about his terrific book, Conspiracy Theories. It's just out from Polity Press. And we're big fans of Polity Press. I can tell you that in reading this book, one of the things I particularly liked about it is that it has a thesis. And this thesis will argue something that you may not have heard before. And I, I had not really heard before. And uh, not to steal any of your thunder, Kasim, but Kasim says that conspiracy theories are primarily political. And this is very interesting, and he argues it very well. And we're very interested to hear what he has to say about this thesis. So let me say, Kasim, thank you very much for being on the show. Uh, hi, it's good to, good to be talking to you. Absolutely. Could you begin the interview by telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm an academic uh, philosopher. Um, I'm a uh, philosopher at the University of Warwick. Um, in terms of my personal background, um, I am of Muslim heritage. Uh, was born in Kenya, in East Africa, um, but I've lived most of my adult life uh, in the UK. And um, I've taught at various universities in the UK: um, Oxford, Cambridge, London, and now and now Warwick. So could you tell us why you wrote the book Conspiracy Theories? Well, mainly because it, I was aware that, that there was a, a kind of philosophical literature on conspiracy theories, uh, a bunch of philosophers writing about um, you know, whether conspiracy theories are rational or irrational and what we should, what we should make of them. Um, and I also knew that a lot of psychologists are interested in conspiracy theories. There's a whole branch of um, social psychology, which is the psychology of conspiracy theories. Um, trying to figure out what are the psychological factors that lead people to believe in conspiracy theories. So when I encountered this literature, my immediate reaction was, well, this is all interesting. I mean, no doubt, you know, the psychology is interesting and there are in things that philosophers have to say. But what all of that just misses out on is what struck me as the really obvious point about conspiracy theories, which is that they're fundamentally political. They're all about politics. They're politically motivated and um, they have political consequences. So I wanted to write a book that really just made that kind of, it's what seemed to me to be a rather obvious point. Um, and the way I put it, and, and this is, this is you know, the thesis of the book, is that conspiracy theories are fundamentally forms of political propaganda. That's the thesis. Um, it seemed to me when I thought of it that, that Actually, the thesis had a lot going, had a lot going for it, but but in, in fact, very few people had, you know, had made that point. So I just wanted to write something that just made that point as clearly and as simply as possible. Well, you've done a good job of it. It comes right out in the book, and I really appreciate that. Out of any academic book, let me ask you this: You describe a number of characteristics of conspiracy theories because it's kind of a fuzzy term and you do a good job of defining it. Can you describe some of the characteristics that you use when you analyze it? So let, let me just start off with an example that, that, that might help. 
Um, so here's a, here's a question for your you know for your listeners. Um, so supposing you think about the official account of 9/11 um, as set out in the report of the 9/11 Commission. So uh, I guess as everyone knows, the basic finding of that report was that 9/11 was um, an act carried out by 19 men of Middle Eastern origin conspiring to commit this terrible crime. Um, now, of course, that report describes a conspiracy. It describes an Al-Qaeda conspiracy um, to um, uh, attack, uh, attack America. Now, now think about the, um, the, the view that 9-11 was an inside job. Um, but, you know, maybe the Bush administration was somehow responsible for it. So, so here's the question. On the face of it, both of those accounts of 9-11 uh, explain it by reference to a conspiracy. So the official account blames 9-11 on an Al-Qaeda conspiracy, um, and the unofficial account blames it on um, a conspiracy by the uh, American government. So, so here's a question. Should we call both of these conspiracy theories or only the second one a conspiracy theory? Uh, so a lot, depend, a lot depends on how you answer that question. So my own view is that, is that um, we shouldn't call the official account a conspiracy theory. It's a theory about a conspiracy, certainly. Um, but that's not enough for it to be a conspiracy theory in the sense that the, 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 the expression conspiracy theory is ordinarily used. So a conspiracy theory, I want to say, is a theory that explains some significant happening, usually a political happening, um, by positing a conspiracy. So, so far, that would be consistent with the 9-11 Commission report being a conspiracy theory. But conspiracy theories also have a bunch of other features that distinguish them from ordinary um, theories uh, about conspiracies. Um, so I want to say that, you know, for example, conspiracy theories, as, as they're normally understood, are, are speculative. So, um, you know, they tend to be based on, on conjecture. They're all about connecting the dots. Um, and and, and th the way that they're speculative sometimes means that they're sort of un unprovable. Um, you know, they're, they're, uh, conclusive proof is always just out of reach. Um, so that's one feature of of. of conspiracy theories in this special sense that I'm interested in. Um, they also tend to be contrary to the official view. Um, so that's a very strong reason for not calling the official account of 9-11 a conspiracy theory. It was the precisely because it was the official account, whereas conspiracy theories are generally there to kind of oppose or undermine um, the official account. Um, so th those, those are, those are at least two important features of, of um, what I call capital C, capital T conspiracy theories. Um, they also tend to be kind of quite esoteric, um, you know, relying on you know, rather kind of uh, specialized and in some ways convoluted and improbable explanations of what happened. You know, so you have the obvious explanation of why the Twin Towers collapsed because, you know, aircraft flew into them. But from a conspiracy perspective, what they propose is a you know is a much less obvious um, um, uh, explanation. So they're, they're, so that's what I mean by that by saying that they're they're esoteric. Um, and there are a couple of other features that I you know that I mentioned. But but I think the key point that I you know the key point that I'd want to make is is that is that as as people ordinarily talk about conspiracy theories, I don't think on the whole what people mean by conspiracy theory is just a theory about a conspiracy.
Um, and I don't think that ordinarily it would be correct to say that the official report of the 9-11 Commission was a conspiracy theory, even though it, of course, talked about a conspiracy. Yeah, I find that convincing. And there's an interesting issue of conflation here on the word conspiracy, because there are, in fact, of course, conspiracies and conspirators. But a conspiracy theory, that is a theory which purports the existence of a conspiracy on what I guess I might call, in the kind of Popperian sense, dubious evidence. That is a different thing, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's worth remembering that, of course, you know, conspiracy is a term that, that's, 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 you know, it's a legal term, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that uh, you know, you can you can be sent to jail for uh, criminal conspiracy. Uh, so yeah. there's nothing there's nothing untoward about you know talking about conspiracies. But but you know there again, if 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 I discover that um, you know a bunch of people in the neighbourhood have just been um, sent to prison for conspiring to rob a convenience store, uh, if I tell you that, I don't think you'd say to me, oh well, you're just a conspiracy theorist. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's just not what. That's just not how conspiracy theorists and theory are used, and I, that seems to be kind of really obvious point. Um, and and yet, it it you know it's often it's often missed, even missed by some of my distinguished philosophical colleagues who you know who who persist in talking about conspiracy theories as though you know they're just theories, they're just theories like any other. They just happen to be about conspiracies, uh, and we should assess them in the way that we assess any other theory. Um, I think that's just obviously obviously wrong. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to get right to that point. I'm glad that you mentioned that because again, in the hmm, trying to think how to put this, you know, if I were a philosopher of science, which I'm not, you would just say, well, this is a theory or a hypothesis and it makes empirical claims and it has some background assumptions and we can test it just like we would test anything else. So it's really in that formal sense, no different. Would you agree with that or disagree with that? Or? <clears throat> that's exactly what that's exactly what people say, and and I, I want to kind of you know try and bring out the absurdity of that by by giving you um, an example. So one of the most famous, all time most famous conspiracy theories is is something called the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Um, so the Protocols of the Protocols we're talking here about something that was around at the beginning of the 20th century. So the Protocols were supposedly the minutes of a meeting of Jewish elders, um, in which these elders were describing a plot for world domination. Uh, now, this theory, absurd as it sounds, uh, in fact was very influential. I mean, it was quoted by Hitler in Mein Kampf. And as far as I know, it's it's still quoted as as historical fact uh, by certain organisations in the Middle East, like Hamas. Um, now, uh, of course, of course, the protocols are, are you know are a forgery, and of course, uh, you know there was no such meeting. And I, I and I I think the question I'd want to ask is, so why did the why did the person who came up with that theory why did they put it forward? Now, if you were looking at it from a kind of philosophy of science perspective, you would say, well, you know, this is just a theory that they had and they had some evidence for it, perhaps, and we should just assess it on that basis, you know, just assess it like any other theory. Um, that seems to me to be a rather strange thing to say about the protocols of the elders of Zion. I mean, the obvious <laughs> explanation of what was going on in this case is the protocols were 
and were intended to be a piece of absolutely blatant, outrageous anti-Semitic propaganda. That was their function. And that is actually um, the role that they've played as a matter of historical historical fact. Um, they were, like many, many conspiracy theories, fundamentally about um, pushing a particular um, in, uh, agenda, in this case, a racist extremist agenda, and to approach the protocols of the elders of Zion as if what we're dealing with here is, a, you know, a kind of scientific or quasi-scientific theory, which we should assess using the usual methods for assessing scientific theories. I mean, to me, that's just, you know, to use a technical term, that's just nuts <laughs> as an account of the protocols of the elders of Zion. Um, and, and I'd want to say that you know the same thing about many you know many other conspiracy theories. So uh, I suppose my basic objection to you know to the kind of um, philosophy of science approach to these theories is that they, they just miss the obvious point. Um, you know, I don't believe I, I mean I don't imagine for one second that the person responsible for the protocols himself believed them. <laughs> I don't think that was it, it that, that 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 was really what was going on in that case. It was a it, it was a case of kind of intentional propaganda and very successful as such. Uh, and in the case of the protocols, I I know a little bit about this as a Russian historian. We know uh who created it or at least we know the organization yeah. that created it and it was the yeah. Russian uh Imperial State Police. And yeah. then um, yeah. it is still very much in circulation. And I want to come to that yeah. point. It seems to me that one of the interesting things about conspiracy theories is that they have a kind of folkloric aspect. I'm not sure that's the right word, but mm. they are useful to some group. And so they stick around for a long time. If there was a conspiracy theory, for example, about why I renovated my house, <laughs> which I'm doing right now, mm. and you might hear people banging mm. outside. I mm. don't think that one would have legs. I don't think anybody would care. Mm. But the Protocols mm. of the Elders of Zion, 9-11, the JFK assassination, is Hitler still alive? You know, this kind of stuff. These seem to have legs. They they almost get away from the people that create them, and they serve political interests. And I think that gets to your point about them being propagandistic. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think that's a really good, a really interesting observation. I mean, if one's thinking about you know, the persistence of conspiracy theories, I mean, th there are lots of possible explanations. I mean, one explanation is that they persist because the political causes they uh, try to advance are causes that some people still sympathize with. I mean, it's a terrible fact about the contemporary world that anti-Semitism is far from dead. Um, and of course, the protocols are going to be attractive uh, to people who um, who are who are anti-Semitic. Um, in other cases, it, it it may be more about the fact that you know conspiracy theories are stories. They tell stories, and they have heroes and they have villains, um, and um, they they you know make sense of what might other, otherwise seem to me seem to be kind of somewhat somewhat random. You know, random events. I mean, if you think about, you know, conspiracy theories about the uh, assassination of President Kennedy, one thing that people say about those conspiracy theories, which which I think is true, is is it you know the idea that someone like uh, Oswald um, was solely responsible for this um, somehow doesn't seem to satisfy the need that some people have for 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 meaning in this event you know and that somehow the it would be it would all be much more meaningful if we thought that there was a you know a large scale conspiracy 
um, at work um, in the assassination. So I think that so I think that conspiracy theories serve a range of a range of purposes and they fulfill a range of different needs. Um, but I think it's very hard to make sense of why people still talk about the protocols um, unless you think about what their what the political angle of the protocols is and what is the political agenda of the people who are still pushing them. Yeah, I mean, for the people who truck in them, I, I won't use the word believe, but, but perhaps I should, and we're going to talk about conspiracy theories that are actually believed by people. I, I think they have a kind of truth with capital T, that there's something in them that is fulfilling to those people in the same way that we tell all kinds of fictive stories to ourselves. And we, we will adhere to them and repeat them to other people. They tell us something, or the people that believe them, something about the world that they find affirming. And it's that kind of folkloric or almost mythological aspect that I, I think makes them very persistent in, in even in modern times. Yeah, I think that I think that's right. And 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 you know, if you think of if you if you think of the world as um, you know, kind of hard to understand, you know, all sorts of stuff happens that's that 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 is kind of baffling. Um, and you know, conspiracy theories uh, provide explanations or what look like explanations, uh, and 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 that's you know, that's part of their. You know, part of their part of their appeal. Um, I mean, there's a there's a nice there's a nice um, um, discussion of this this, this issue in, in the philosophical literature um, where people talk about you know what's the difference between having a pre modern attitude to the world and a modern attitude, and the pre modern attitude is one that uh, wants to invest events with deeper meaning. You know, so if something bad happens, we need to find an explanation that gives that event the kind of deep meaning that we are looking for. Uh, the modern attitude is essentially to say, so if you're thinking about, you know, thinking about something like, you know, Oswald killing Kennedy, the modern attitude is to say, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I'll say it anyway, shit happens. <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Right. Uh, no, you know, shit happens that, and, yes. and, and get over it is the modern attitude. You know, don't go around looking for fantasy explanations that 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 invest um, uh, in, invest events with deeper meanings that they don't have. I mean, if you're thinking about, you know, how was it that Oswald kill, killed Kennedy? Well, you know, Oswald was a was a pretty good shot. Uh, he was lucky on the day, and you know he had his own weird reasons for wanting to do it. We lots of speculation about what his motives were, you know. But there it is. It was just it was just a kind of one in a million thing, and it happened, and that's all there is, you know, to to say about it. Uh, and whereas the pre modern attitude mm -hmm. is no, 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 that can't be all. There must be more to it than that. There's got to be more to it than that. And so so then you start constructing these complicated narratives about what was, you know in quotes, really going on in these cases. Um, and that that is just part of this syndrome of just not being able to live with the reality that a lot of what happens, you know, is just kind of random, really. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have a lot to say about that, actually. And I, and, and I thought deeply about your use of pre-modern. And as a historian, I thought a lot about that. And one of the things that occurs to me, and, and this, again, I don't know if this is correct at all, is that it's really... The, 
what I think we call the modern attitude is a non-religious attitude. It's one that has eliminated completely uh, hidden forces from the world. Because after the Enlightenment, at least for people like, well, I don't know about you, but from people like me, those don't exist. And so in the in what I would call the religious world or pre-modern world, it was easy to say, well, that was God's will, and that's why that happened. There's really no reason to look any further. But in the modern world that doesn't have spirits doing things, somebody has to be responsible. And I know that even if you take the French Revolution, for example, so all the ills of French society, once those people had dispelled religion, well, it was the result of bad people doing bad things, and we're going to have to chop off their heads. Uh, now, of course, those people weren't really responsible for those things, but you needed to find a, a culprit because human affairs are produced by humans and not by, uh, you know, shall we say, deities of various kinds. So in the, in the modern world, we, we need to find explanations for these things. Yeah, I, I think the thing that you said about in the connection between pre-modern and religious, I think that's a really kind of important point, actually. Um, um, you're right that you know religious explanations um, uh, uh, account for happenings by attributing them to the you know to the will of the deity or whatever it is, um, and this gives them you know kind of gives 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 them meaning. And and I think I, I'm not I'm, this is not original to me. But there's actually a, an, a, another philosopher who writes about conspiracy theories who's very good called Brian Keeley, and 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 he's actually also also drawn attention to the um, an- analogies between conspiracy theories and sort of religious or quasi-religious um, explanations. Um, and, you know, the, 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 the shit happens <laughs> approach is basically an approach that says that, well, the only agency that there is is human agency. Um, but the human agency, you know, needn't take the form of some kind of complicated conspiracy. I mean, if human agency itself works in all, in, 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 it, all sorts of different, all sorts of different ways. Some of some of them invest invest things with meaning, and others, you know, and others don't. Um, and I think the conspiracy you, know, you can think of conspiracy theories as as filling a hole um, that was left by um, you, you know, um, as it were, the death of God. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, some something like that. Anyway, yeah, I, I think another thing that needs to be said here, and you say it, is that I don't think you say it exactly these terms, but I think about it a lot. Is the and this is almost a psychological moment. When, when people see somebody roll a fair die and get three sixes in a row, they begin to wonder whether the die mm. is fair. Mm. <laughs> and they can't, they can't bring themselves to believe that it is. Because mm. when unusual things happen, they think, well, that really doesn't add up. Because our minds don't like that kind of thing. And there's something about randomness which just isn't very isn't very appealing to us. So we start to look for explanations. But the fact of the matter is, is that really unusual things in a large enough pool of events happen all the time. <laughs> I mean, yeah. literally constantly. Yeah. <laughs> very, yeah. And you, somebody does win the lottery like every day. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's absolutely right. I mean, the, the thing is, it's very interesting to think about randomness in this connection. So if you think about the 9-11 attacks um, and you think about the official account of what happened, I mean, of course, nobody, nobody is claiming that the 9-11 attacks were random. I mean, it wasn't a random occurrence. Uh, it was, in fact, the project of human agency. There were people who planned for it to happen and they made it happen. 
so 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 um conspiracy theorists are not are not in the position of saying look you you guys you the official the official people think that it was random and we're giving an explanation rather they're saying that that you know we don't accept your explanation we have a we have a better explanation so in neither case do you have randomness but there is a connection i think with 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 the issue of randomness all the same which is when you think about um what if the official account is right if you think about what it took to to actually pull off the 911 operation i mean it certainly required you know enormous quantities of 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 luck actually on the part of the conspirators um and uh you know that's that perhaps is the sense that 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 um conspiracy theorists have that it couldn't have been that way you know they couldn't they couldn't have been that lucky or they couldn't have been mm-hmm. you know that skillful or whatever it was that was required for them to pull off you know what was a kind of very complicated um complicated operation so I think I think you know there are there are there are sort of in fact actually three things we're looking at here. One is things happening just randomly. Um, so you know Kennedy wasn't killed randomly. Nine Eleven wasn't random. Then there's you know it wasn't random, but for these things to have happened, things had to work out in a particular way that seems to some people to be improbable or un- or unlikely. And then that's why they then go in for their full blown conspiracy theories. Um, which you know supposedly eliminate uh, uh, the, both the element of randomness and the element of of luck, but of course they don't because you know for nine eleven to have been an inside job, I mean how you know how much how much uh, good fortune would would you know would have to have been involved in that on the part of those planning the operation in that way. Yeah, I, you said it much more eloquently than I did, but the number of improbable things that have to happen in sequence for something like the Kennedy assassination to occur, it's truly remarkable. I mean, it, it is it is really one of those black swan events. Like everything had to go in a certain way. And each of those steps, well, was variously improbable and some incredibly improbable. I mean, I know as somebody who, when I was young, I, I used to hunt and I've shot guns a lot and things like this. Those were incredible shots. They were very lucky. <laughs> I, got, I got to tell you, like, that alone was enough to make it go wrong, but it went right. And so people wonder like, well, when you roll three sixes in a row, is the, is the game fixed? You know, is there something here? But in fact, that's just, we just had somebody here in Massachusetts where I'm sitting win the lottery for a million dollars twice. Yes. Yes. <laughs> you really did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and immediately yeah. I thought it's fixed. It's fixed. You know, yes. Like, yes. 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 Isn't fixed. That guy's yeah. just incredibly lucky, and that stuff happens. Yeah. You know. Yeah. It's yeah. improbable, no, exactly. but you got to wrap your mind around it. He literally won a million dollars twice. I mean, like, yeah. I, 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 I want to know what that guy has, and what that guy has is luck. It's luck. Any place yes. lottery, and I don't. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so no, I mean, that, that's right. That's right. And and you know, look, Oswald got lucky on the day right so he fired yeah, he really did he fired yeah. three shots and i think one of them missed and two of them hit and you know he was yeah. just lucky he was just lucky um but you know then you think about then you think about um conspiracy theories i mean think about conspiracy theories about the moon landing um i mean how improbable is it that the number of people who would had to have known about it uh yeah. you know went through with this incredible conspiracy and you know, it's it's never got out. Uh, yeah. I mean, talk about I mean, talk about impro- imp- imp- improbability. I mean, governments are terrible 
at keeping secrets. Uh, you know, stuff gets leaked all the time. Stuff comes out all the time. And the idea that, you know, the, the, the government or NASA, whoever it was, was, was capable in the first place of faking such a thing and then keeping it secret, you know, yeah. successfully for all, for all this length of time. I mean, you're talking about, you're talking about, you know, something of, of kind of lottery proportions of improbability. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. so, so, I, so I, I, it's a, it's a con, you know, you these stories are presented as if, you know, well, we're offering you a kind of more plausible account of what happened. But when you think about it for even 10 seconds, you can see the accounts we're being offered are actually wildly implausible. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in complete agreement with you about the difficulty of creating actual secret conspiracies. I mean, you just have to know a little bit about the way humans work, or I guess you just have to be an observant human to understand that people like to talk about that kind of stuff, and they do. I mean, just ask any cop. A lot of people confess. You know, once they're in the little room, they just say, "I did it." And there's something in us that wants to say they did it. And the idea that you could actually, especially governments, <laughs> could keep secrets like that, at least in our, I guess, free society, um, is it's yeah, it makes them strikingly improbable. Um, yeah, yeah. The, say, big, the, yeah. The, the bigger, the, the greater the number of people that would have to have been involved, the more improbable it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a, there's a certain proportionality there, inverse proportionality, I think. Yeah. So could you talk a little bit about the, the sort of thrust of modern conspiracy theories? Are they right-wing or left-wing, or is one group more interested in purveying them than others, or are, is right and left the right way to think about them? Um, so one thing that people... Uh, people sometimes say say to me is, look, it's absurd to say that conspiracy theories are political because, I mean, what about you know conspiracy theories about the death of Elvis? What's political about that? Um, so, of course, I'm not sure that actually would would count as a conspiracy theory. But in any case, my claim is not that every single conspiracy theory is political. Um, what I'm saying is that there's a very important sub subclass of conspiracy theories that are political. So then, then, then we get to the question that you asked, which is, well, are they left wing or are they right wing? Um, and 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 the answer is that is that is that is that the extreme right and the extreme left are equally prone, I think, to conspiracy theorizing. And the reason they're equally prone to conspiracy theorizing is that is that I think conspiracy theories are integral to to what I would call an extremist mindset. Um, uh, you know, they have a particular attraction for people who um, who subscribe to extremist um, political causes, and there are some conspiracy theories that that are that are actually shared by the left and the right. Even you know, if we get down to specifics, and the most notorious example of a conspiracy theory that is you find both on the left and on the right uh, are anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. You know, so so anti-Semitism is a big is 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 a big part of extreme right-wing ideology, and and you know, as a matter of historical fact, has been an important part of extreme left-wing ideology. I mean, as I say in the book, Hitler was a conspiracy theorist, but so was Stalin. Um, so so you know that so that's that's the you know that's the first thing to say. I mean, the other thing to say is is that um, the political agendas of conspiracy theories are not always easy to. to, to easy to say in in terms of left or right you know so if you're thinking about anti-vaxxer conspiracy theories you know what's the, what's the political agenda there or indeed what's the political agenda of conspiracy theories about 9/11 and 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 the fact is there are all sorts of different you know agendas i think some conspiracy theories are 
motivated by hostility to you know to, to the government or to big government or the federal government. Um, there are conspiracy theories that are tied up with um, anti-capitalist ideology. Um, so I think that you know conspiracy theories about big pharma have a lot to do with that. Um, there are conspiracy theories that are very much connected to the politics of um, gun control and the debate about that in the U.S. Um, so that's how, how I see um, conspiracy theories about Sandy Hook. Um, uh, you know, so so, so in, in in each case, there is you know there is a there is a kind of there is a deeper agenda there, a kind of political cause that's being um, advanced. In some cases, is plainly left wing or right wing. In other cases, it, it, it's hard to classify it in those terms. But there's still, you know, there's still a political there's still a political cause. But underlying all of this, I think, is is the following. I, I, this is this is a sort of I mean, maybe uh, sort of ironic. But as, as you probably know, that you know, the conspiracy theorist's favorite question is who benefits. All right, so they think. Um, um, uh, for, for example, that the Bush administration benefited from 9-11 because it gave them a pretext to invade Iraq. Uh, and because they benefited from 9-11, that, then, that, is a, that is then a reason for thinking that they were responsible for it, right? And that worked, and that worked out so well. And that worked out so brilliant. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, you know, so, 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 so that's what conspiracy theorists, always, you know, that's their first move. You know, who benefits? So w- what I want to do is to, is to kind of to run that line with conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. So I want to say, okay, let's look at, let's look at these conspiracy theories, right? Who benefits from them? Um, uh, what's their, what's their agenda? What's their agenda? And, and, and um, I think if you ask the question like that, then of course it's fairly, you know, in many cases it's fairly apparent what the, you know, what the political um, agenda agenda is. I mean, I think it's also worth pointing out that actually conspiracy theory is a big business. You know, so if you're thinking about people who promote conspiracy theories, you know that uh, you, I mean, there are people, you know, like Alex Jones, who you know pushing conspiracy theories and sell lots. There's lots of merchandising that goes with it. Um, now, of course, some people say, "Oh, well, you're just a conspiracy theorist about conspiracy theorists." Or a conspiracy. <laughs> um, you know, aren't you aren't you saying that conspiracy theories are a conspiracy? Well, I have two observations about that. One is, if I am saying that, then conspiracy theorists have no grounds to object because I'm just doing what they're doing. But of course, I'm not, in fact, saying that they are conspiring. I'm not saying that different conspiracy theories are conspiring to mislead the public. I'm just saying that um, uh, for any given conspiracy theory, you know, you should ask yourself the question: What is what is the function or what is the role of this theory? What purpose does this theory serve? Um, and, and that's re- very closely related to the who benefits question. I'm not saying that they're you know that there's a kind of you know they're all working together. They all meet once a year for a board meeting of conspiracy theorists and work out how they're going to advance the conspiracy um, agenda. Um, so there's a kind of piece of philosophical jargon that, I, if I if I may, I'd like to just briefly introduce, um, and I think it's really helpful. So if you if you're thinking about what some what something is, it's very helpful very often to ask yourself what does this thing do. Okay, so if you're trying to explain to somebody what the heart is, you know, the organ, the heart, um, the the neatest way to explain what the heart is is to say, well. The heart is that organ in the human body whose function it is to pump blood. Um, 
Or if you talk about, you know, the, a carburetor in a car engine, you know, you say what that is by explaining what its function is. So this is sometimes called, fun, you know, functionalism, or it's a kind of functionalism in, in philosophy. Um, so what I want to suggest is that is it actually that, that that's a helpful way to think about conspiracy theories. And right? if you want to know what conspiracy theories are, you know, what, what are they fundamentally, then ask yourself the question, what's their function? What's their purpose? You know, what, what, what are they, you know, what are they for? Um, and then if you ask that question about, you know, the protocols of the elders of Zion, what was that for? What was its function? Well, the function was to promote anti-Semitism. That was its basic core function. And unless you take account of that, you just haven't even begun to answer the question, what are these theories? So, 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 so I suppose there are these two related ideas that I am uh, trying to push. You know, there's the idea of, conspiracy theories having a function and there's the idea that you know when you're confronted by these theories you should always ask yourself the question who benefits from the theories mm -hmm. I, I i want to go back to something you said earlier about the role of money and focus particularly on the way in which modern journalism works i used to work at a magazine in the united states and the editors of that magazine uh, would always talk about finding things that were counterintuitive and having observed this closely for a while and with a little bit of a philosophical mind, what I discovered that they really meant was things that were as outrageous and probably untrue. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it was important that they have both of these facets in terms of making headlines, outrageous and probably untrue, because people are attracted to those things. Yeah. And they are kind of what we would call clickbait. I was just and going to say clickbait. clickbait. Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. They are yeah. clickbait. Yeah. And clickbait gets you advertising dollars. So it seems there's a way in which the way the modern media is structured, and I don't know if there's a better way or not, I don't think there is, but there's something about the way the modern media works that promotes the dissemination of these things. I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. I, I think that's absolutely right. You know, so so when I when I switch my computer on and I log on um, I put you know put put the put the internet on. I mean, the first thing I get is is a whole bunch of news stories. You know, the news feed, which I know I have the option to switch off, but you know I don't. Uh, and of course, the, you know, the news feed has hundreds of stories. Uh, in in many cases, non stories. And the and the sole function of having these things on screen is to make me click on them, just out of curiosity. And that just the act of clicking on a particular story. Um, it, you know, is 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 profitable uh, for somebody other than me, um, and 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 so so if you were in the position of okay, I have to I have to you know maximize the number of clicks that I get, you know, clearly it's just human nature that you know that 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 outrageous counterintuitive um, stories are going to get you know kind of more you know more clicks and it's not a story to say so if you think about that malaysian airliner that that you know that vanished without without trace i mean you know you could say uh, was this airliner a malaysian airliner you know captured by russians um allegation right or something like that versus a uh, malaysian airliner we don't know and perhaps we'll never know <laughs> uh i mean i mean the, you know, the second of those things is, well, that's kind of disappointing, right? And certainly not that interesting. But the first one, now that's now that sounds interesting. So there's a huge sort of structural incentive in the way that, you know, the media is set up to to give these theories airtime. And, and giving them airtime has nothing to do with their intrinsic merits or with what the people who put these, these theories forward themselves 
you know, believe. Um, so, so, so that that's that's the kind of commercial, you know, the commercial side of things. I and I, I, I you know, the other side is that is that people who've become very prominent as kind of conspiracy theorists. Um, you know, have made a lot of money in the process. You know, from from you know uh, speaking engagements, selling merchandising, and of course selling books and people subscribing to you know subscribing to their websites. I mean, there are large amounts of money involved. And and you know, if you were completely cynical about it and you were just trying to think of an effective way to make to make a buck, I mean, you could do a lot worse than that if you you know if you if you were cynical enough to you know to do it. Um, you know, so I think that's worth, you know, again, this this just goes back to the who benefits question. And conspiracy theorists cannot possibly object to this line of thinking, right? Because <laughs> it's just their line of thinking applied yeah, to them. No, that's <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Very, very good point. But I do wonder if there, and, and this is an empirical question and I don't have an answer for it. A lot of people say this, make this claim that, you know, those kinds of outrageous and probably untrue headline used to be bracketed in a way before the internet. They were in the news of the world, right? <laughs> they were in the tabloids. They were not in the Times or the New York Times. But now, <laughs> you know, the, the Times and the New York Times and the Atlantic and the New Yorker and all the, you know, the Spectator and all these other, they, they're under pressure to get those views. And so, uh, again, it's an empirical question. I wonder if there's a tendency toward that kind of thing in the mainstream media. Yeah, so 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 here's a piece of empirical evidence that may that 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 is interesting and actually kind of quite counterintuitive. You know, so if you think about the way the media has developed, and particularly the the internet, um, uh, you know, what you would think is that because there's this uh, incentive to you know to to have outrageous um, conspiracy theories as a way of getting clicks. Um, you know, you would think as the internet has become a, a stronger and stronger force in our lives, uh, you'd have a greater exposure to conspiracy theories and therefore more people believing conspiracy theories. Um, but actually, there was a piece of research published uh, a couple of years ago uh, on whether it's actually true as a matter of empirical fact that people are <clears throat> more inclined to believe conspiracy theories today than in the past. Um and this research, in fact, suggested that 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 belief in conspiracy theories was far more prevalent uh, uh, in the early part of the 20th century than it is now. That you know we're not living in the age of conspiracy. Um, now that the method, the methodology. They, so this was a, this was a book which I actually highly recommend. Um, a book called American Conspiracy Theories. So the authors of that of that uh, book did a study where they trawled through readers' letters to the New York Times. Over, I mean, roughly a hundred-year period up to 2010, you know, to see uh, how often people who wrote the New York Times were, were were you know promoting or endorsing or discussing a conspiracy theory. So this was a survey, a study of conspiracy talk in letters to the New York Times, and what they found was that was that actually um, there was less conspiracy talk in these letters. Uh, at the end of the period, than you know, than than in the middle and and the beginning. So the conclusion they draw is that you know this thing that everybody says that there's far more of this stuff about than there used to be, isn't supported by that one piece of evidence. The only the only kind of you know uh, thing the only comment I would make about this is that this research looked looked at letters to the Times, so that's you know obviously limited, and 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 only up to 2010. You know, so if one were to do 
ask the same question using a different methodology and bringing it right up to date. Whether you would get the same answer or not, I, I don't know. But it, it's worth mentioning because I think it does, you know, it, it suggests that one should be at least cautious about saying that, you know, there's more more conspiracy theorizing about today than there was in the past. It's not absolutely clear that that's true. Yeah, I wouldn't think that there's more conspiracy theory believers than there were in the past. I'm just wondering about the tendency of the press for largely commercial reasons, because mm. the press has to survive, to hew toward stories which are more, I guess to use a neutral term, speculative in mm. nature. And again, that's an empirical question. Yeah. I don't have an answer for it. Some people say this. I, I, I really don't know. I, I don't. I'll be honest, I don't read the news mm. terribly closely <laughs> because uh, I, I'm yeah. more interested in talking to people like you. So let, let me um, let me ask a, a kind of hard question, uh, and and it's this: some well, let me let me frame it a little bit differently. One could argue that c- conspiracy theorizing it has a, a kind of benefit in that it. It is imbued with a kind of skepticism that we want to promote, and and in fact, sometimes is very valuable in the cases, and there are probably very few of them, but I can think of one, in which the conspiracy theorists were right. And I'm thinking particularly of the Catholic Church covering up pedophilia in the Catholic Church. And for years, people said that this was happening, and I, I don't know if nobody believed them. I'm sure the people that were victims of it believed them. But there was a kind of general tendency either not to talk about this or not to believe it because, after all, it was the Catholic Church. But then what we find out is that it was absolutely true, that there was rampant child abuse within the Catholic Church. But more importantly, it was being covered up by the Catholic Church. So what would you – how would you respond to that kind of boundary case? Yeah, so uh, I started off by distinguishing between conspiracy theories, you know, with a big C and a big T and – theories about conspiracies. So clearly there are and have always been conspiracies. There are there are there, you know there have been cover-ups um and 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 some sometimes these have been uncovered but they've been uncovered um you know by serious investigative work by journalists and um law enforcement and you know historians and uh, other people with specialist knowledge in these in these in these areas. Um then, uh, so, so the theory that you know the, the theory that the, the, there was child abuse in, in in the Catholic Church isn't isn't uh, uh, isn't in my in my terms a big a big C conspiracy theory because it's actually been proven to be correct. It's not speculative. It's not a matter of conjecture. It's a matter of of fact. Right, now, you might I, say, well, there was a time when it would have been regarded yeah, that's, as, as you that's you know, what I would that's, say. Yeah, yeah that, that you know. Well, what about years and years ago when you know the evidence you know the evidence hadn't come out. Um, uh, well, wasn't it a conspiracy theory? Um, you know, at that and you know, at that point, um, uh, and and I, I see, I you know, I see the force of that question, and I think what to, to to really answer it, one would have to know what sorts of claims were being made in the past that weren't believed, and what sorts of evidence were being produced in support of those in support of those claims. You know, so if somebody says, you know, I personally or pe- people known to me personally were abused by their priest. Um, you know that's not a conspiracy theory. That's a statement of you know that's a st- statement of, of, of fact. And then the question is, do we believe them or not? Um, mm-hmm. And 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 uh, uh, you might have very good reasons for believing them. You know, you, um, 
and equally the establishment so called might have had very good reasons for trying to you know trying to trying to undermine them so so you could you know so you could get a you know you could get a situation where you have something that looks like um um a, a big c conspiracy theory at some point that su- you know subsequently turns out uh to be just you know a wealth a well founded theory about a conspiracy um in that case i think if you're asking well what was the status of the theory in the, in, in 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 the past um i think i'd want to say well that that would really depend on whether it has all these special features of big c conspiracy theories that i was talking about you know in the past was it was it speculative was it contrarian was it esoteric um and um was it was it something that was regarded as you know beyond proof um, I, I doubt that that was the case. Uh, uh, yeah, and it may not be the case, and I could be completely yeah. wrong about that. Yeah. I'm not an expert on this. It just came to mind um, that there there is a, a, a kind of general tendency of people to distrust, at least in the United States, large organizations that, that give some sort of party line about something. And I think that that, that skepticism which does sometimes lead to conspiracy theories. I'm always thinking about the people that think that, you know, there's this Bilderberg organization, you know, like they meet occasionally and like, oh, they're plotting, you know, something nefarious. And I, I don't know what the hell they're doing there, but it probably isn't that. <laughs> but but there, there's a kind of healthy skepticism that's behind this, I think. I, I, I don't know whether to assent to that or not. What are your thoughts? Uh, well, that's a really interesting point. I mean, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right that um, it's a, it's a healthy thing for citizens of the liberal democracies to be questioning of the motives and actions of their governments and of uh, large corporations. Um, I, I think that's just a sign of being, a, you know, being a grown up. <laughs> um, so then the question would be, well, what's the difference between you know what I'm describing as healthy skepticism, and uh, what you find in conspiracy theories, right? You, I mean, you, search, you know, they're also giving expression to um, what you might want to think of as healthy skepticism. You know, so what's the difference? So I, 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 I would want to say two things um, in in reply to that. Um, first of all, conspiracy theorists are are, are odd because. In a way, they're very skeptical. You know, they're very skeptical about the government and so on. But in another way, they are almost hilariously naive and unskeptical. <laughs> you know, if you think about the positive explanations that they put forward, you know, uh, uh, so the gov- you know, the, the NASA was, you know, responsible for hoaxing the moon landings. Uh, uh, I mean, how naive would you have to be to think that such a thing was 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 at all feasible, you know, or when they when they talk about you know the the, the Bush administration pulling off the nine eleven attacks, uh, there's something sort of almost touchingly, <laughs> touchingly trusting and naive about conspiracy theorists who th- who think that such a thing is possible. So so the problem, I mean, the problem with you know the, the conspiracy mentality, if I may call it that, is that is that it's it, it's very selective <laughs> in its skepticism. It, it, what, what you have is kind of exaggerated skepticism in some domains about some things and the complete absence of skepticism about other things. So you don't at all have a kind of consistent, you know, a consistent view. Um, so my own take on this would be, look, I, I mean, of course, I'm skeptical about these conspiracy theories because they just strike me as, you know, in most cases, ludicrously implausible. That's why I'm skeptical about them. 
does the fact that I accept that Al-Qaeda was responsible for 9-11, does that mean that I'm not skeptical then about you know, the government or that I'm not skeptical, skeptical about big corporations? No, it doesn't mean that at all. Um, I, I think that actually the part of the problem here is that, is that if you want to criticize um, corporations or you want to criticize the government, there are plenty of very good grounds for doing that <laughs> without getting into the whole thing about conspiracy theory. So conspiracy theory has become a kind of red, you know, a kind of red herring. Yeah. And I'll give, you, I'll give you an example. I mean, one of the most famous, you know, one of the most passionate critics of American government policy over the last few decades and indeed of American corporations has been Noam Chomsky, <laughs> right? Now, uh, uh, I mean, of course, Chom- I mean, you know, when Chomsky was asked about 9-11, well, what do you think about that? I mean, he just said the obvious thing, which is, <laughs> it seems very implausible that, 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 uh, that you know, that the Bush administration would have done it. And he also, he sort of just, you know, raised the question of well, why, you know, why on earth would they have wanted to do that? That would just, doesn't, does, just doesn't make sense, you know. Uh, but that doesn't mean that Chomsky is a kind of, you know, a lapdog, an establishment lapdog who just uh, accepts everything they say. You know, so 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 uh, what I would say is that is that if you want to be a critic of the establishment, I mean, so if you want to be a critic, say, of the in two thousand and three invasion of Iraq, there are a million grounds for, <laughs> for, for you know for for, for, for for criticizing that invasion and all the stuff oh. that led up to it, without getting into the whole thing about oh well yeah, and what's more. Uh, you know, they brought down the twin towers in order to in order to get an excuse for the invasion. I mean, it's just absurd. So, so skepticism, yes, it's good to be skeptical. Um, but if you're going to be a skeptic, then you better be willing to be skeptical about conspiracy theories too, because they uh, invite skepticism. Um, and 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 if you really want to be an effective skeptic, don't muddy the waters. Don't bring in a lot of extraneous stuff. You know, like. Uh, wacky conspiracy theories when there are perfectly straightforward and indeed compelling grounds, you know, for criticizing, you know, big, big corporations or whatever it is that, we're, you know, you're, you're concerned about. Mm-hmm. Well, I think this goes back and just to close, I, I think this goes back to your primary thesis that these things are political, that actually they are words that are designed to do things in the world, that is to change people's minds or convince them or something. Uh, they're not interested in finding the truth. Because if they were, they would weigh the evidence in a fair-minded way, but they don't ever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so clearly, they are acting kind of as politicians in a way. Who, of course, carefully design what they say to get votes, and these people are designing their uh, sort of conspiracy theories to get to get either money or assent or something like this. There's there's some kind of I, should I say baser instinct? I don't know if that's the right thing to say. There's well, a baser yes. motive yes. here, other than just finding out what the hell happened. Yeah, you know, I mean, which is, uh, of course, which is that's really right. What we should be about, of course, that's yeah, right. And right. you know, think, so, I mean, think about the people who who have this idea that you know no one died in Sandy Hook. You know, I mean, I just uh, are they are they putting that forward as a serious you know theory about what actually happened what they believed to, yeah. to, i mean it seems ludicrous to me and i i, yeah. I don't believe well, i don't believe that they believe it i mean i could see why they you know why they'd want to push that theory given their interest in in opposing gun control but i don't i don't believe that they would themselves believe this stuff that it doesn't yeah, make sense I agree completely yeah that's right 
Well, Kasim, thank you very much for talking with us. Let me uh, conclude the interview with our traditional final question on the New Books Network, and that is, what are you working on next? It's probably a conspiracy. No, wait, stop. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm working on something that's actually related to the Conspiracy Theories book. I'm writing a book currently about extremism, um, so that the book is going to be called Extremism, a Philosophical Analysis. Uh, and you know we talk a lot about extremists and extremism, and, and and but actually when you think about it, it's not that straightforward to say what what extremism is and what's wrong with it. And the connection with conspiracy theories actually came up in our in our conversation, which is that actually part of the extremist mindset, as I see it, is uh, is is a fondness for conspiracy theories. So it, it follows on from what I've just done anyway. Well, uh, we look forward to reading that. And when you get it out, you should write me an email and I'll interview you again because this has been a fascinating conversation. Let me say that we've been talking to Kasim Kassam about his book, Conspiracy Theories, which is uh, out from Polity Press. And you can get it wherever you buy books, I assume, or from Polity Press itself. And let me uh, close by saying, uh, Kasim, thank you very much for being on the show. It's been great to talk to you. Uh, Thanks a lot. I really enjoyed that.